Hi, everyone. Welcome to On the Environment, the podcast from the Yale Center for Environmental Law and Policy. I'm Charles Harper, a master's student here at the Yale School of the Environment and your host. Today, we're speaking with Hanna Viscara, a staff attorney at Harvard Law School's Environmental and Energy Law Program. Hanna leads the program's work on private sector approaches to climate and environmental issues. Earlier this month, the Yale Center for Environmental Law and Policy released a new book on green finance titled Values at Work, Sustainable Investing and ESG Reporting. Anna kindly wrote a chapter in the book on climate risk and U.S. corporate disclosure law that we'll be talking about today. Thank you so much, Anna, for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, Anna, your chapter in in the book um, is about the risks that climate change poses to companies and what companies are required to disclose to their investors. Can you tell us what that that term means climate risk what types of risks are included sure so climate risk in this context really refers to risks to a company that result from our economy transitioning to a more renewables based energy mix and away from fossil fuels or those that arise from the physical impacts of climate change. So the first bucket, the transition risk, can dramatically change demand for certain products, for example, and um, whether that's due to regulatory requirements that may be you know, added in order to deal with climate change, or um, you know, for other reasons, a more economy-wide shift away from fossil fuels or whatever uh, specific, or maybe uh, more fossil fuel intensive uh, products um, for whatever combination of reasons. So the second bucket, the physical risk, that can be things like impacts on facilities from shifting coastlines, increased flooding, more intense heat and storms, things along those lines. So it's really talking about both buckets. You'll hear a, a lot in the early discussions around corporate disclosure there was a lot of emphasis on the transition risks, the sort of what happens when we move away from fossil fuels, what, particularly when, when talking about the energy sector. But the, the term and what, what we're, you know, what both investors and the financial sector are really looking for now really encompasses both transition and physical risks. So what, what is the state of corporate disclosure law today? What climate-related information, if any, are companies already required to disclose? So U.S. securities law requires public companies to share certain information with investors, and it imposes liability on for misleading investors in those disclosures. And one of the key features of our securities law is this concept of materiality. That is, information generally has to be disclosed if it's financially material to the company. So, for example, Regulation SK uh, requires companies to disclose the material effects of complying with environmental regulations. It also requires them to disclose material pending legal proceedings and known trends or uncertainties that have had or that the registrant expects will have a material favorable or unfavorable impact on sales or revenues or income uh, on their operations. And events that will cause a material change in the relationship between costs and revenues. So you're, you're seeing a trend here. There's a lot of material being repeated. Um, the, and companies also have to disclose information that isn't specifically requested if it is necessary to make the, the information that they do disclose not misleading. So those are sort of the basics of the, of the law as it stands. Um, and, you know, while there's not specific requirements to disclose 
certain types of information that you might say are climate-related information, it, it's all about finding what is material to an individual company. So, you know, that key to all of these disclosure requirements is that term material. Statutes don't define it. The Supreme Court defined material information as information a reasonable investor is substantially likely to view as significantly altering the total mix of information available. So the challenge really becomes, with climate-related disclosures, uh, the challenge is for a company to figure out when various types of information that you could consider climate-related information become material to its industry and also to it as an individual company, because the companies themselves are making determinations of what is material and what to include in their disclosures to the SEC. And based on this rather challenging definition of materiality. Um, so this is, you know, this is different for different companies. It's kind of a tall order, uh, especially with the type of information that investors are asking for. It really requires companies to think longer term about risks how, and how they could affect their business and be up to date on the science and actively integrate information about climate change into their day-to-day risk management processes, into their planning and expenditure decision making and things like that. So what is at stake here? How would more disclosure, perhaps related to climate, influence potentially the financial sector or the economy as a whole? Has disclosure in the past or might it in the future affect the levels of greenhouse gas emissions or um, maybe financial flows in the economy? So financial regulators around the world and here in the U.S. are increasingly aware of the risks that climate change poses to our financial systems in general, uh, and not just to individual investors or a single bank in their lending positions. The concern really is that we aren't really we aren't currently pricing these risks appropriately, and to do so well, we'll need more information about how. The changes in our world due to climate change and our efforts to mitigate or adapt to those changes can affect the financial futures of specific industries and companies and how that fits into our economy at large. So banks are getting increasing demands to better assess their own vulnerability to climate change. You know, that could be vulnerability to shifts in the real estate market, for example, and, you know, homes in riskier areas that are increasingly likely to flooded to flooding with sea level rise, maybe lose their value or become harder to insure, or as industries they help finance become less relevant to an economy in transition or more uh, susceptible to to, uh, some of the physical risks of climate change. But in order for the financial sector and like banks to assess their vulnerability at a portfolio level, they really need better information from from the underlying companies whose assets they hold or who they invest in. And, you know, that and how they um, and who they help finance about how climate change is likely to affect them. Uh, and the same thing, supply, same thing applies for asset management firms. So that's sort of why you're seeing um, a more discussion of this at, at the sort of larger systemic fi- financial system level. You're seeing increased interest from U.S. Uh, financial regulators, from the Fed, from the CFTC, from the advisory committees at the SEC about, you know, how to deal with this problem and how, what kind of information they need from investors. They're a little behind in comparison to other other parts of the world where you're actually seeing uh, financial sector regulators starting to implement plans to develop, you know, new disclosure requirements or stress test processes 
uh, you know, it's still very kind of in development, even internationally. But um, these are things being studied studied by by the Federal Reserve and by financial regulators here in the U.S. And you're likely to see more action there. Um, it may not, you know, I, I, going back to your last question, sort of where things stand. The SEC has in the past considered uh, whether to adopt sort of more direct requirements or guidance on climate change. Uh, in 2010, they did release a short guidance document that basically said, well, under the law, things that are material need to be disclosed. That could include climate change information. Here are a few examples of where that might come into play, but they really didn't help companies figure out how to make those determinations. They didn't give them a lot of new guidance about how how to grapple with sort of different sets of information that they're used to dealing with. Uh, and I think that's what we've really seen, the, the relationship between investors, sovereign wealth funds, pension plans, asset managers, and companies that they invested and their dialogue around what they want to see from disclosures. That's been the focus, sort of what do you disclose, how, when, and there's a lot of effort that has gone in in the last few years to developing better practices, determining what's really material and what's not, and what's information that, you know, maybe stakeholders would like to see, but isn't necessarily material to the financial health and necessary from a financial sector perspective. Um, so there's a lot of activity here, but there, and there's a lot of potential for this to, to kind of become the backbone, the sort of disclosures from individual companies kind of are the base level. They're the backbone of building up a strong um, risk management assessment and assessment process for our financial sector as a whole. So, so that reminds me of a term that a lot of climate activists have used, um, carbon bubble, I guess, similar to the housing bubble that uh-huh. helps lead to the financial crisis. Um, would disclosure help perhaps decrease risk to the wider economy? It sounds like there are a lot of maybe mispriced or, um, companies out there that disclosure could help the market um, price more correctly? Um, yeah, I, I think that's probably the case. There definitely, you know, are there, we're not, so I'll, I'll caveat this. I'm a lawyer. I'm not an investment uh, expert and certainly not an economist. So how, how this really comes into play for the economy and what that really could do to a market. It's a little outside of my my realm of expertise, but you know, I think the consensus <laughs> is <laughs> the consensus here is that, you know, there are things that we aren't quite sure of. There are there are definite risks and and costs that maybe aren't being currently fully incorporated into the market and you know, the, the goal with the push for better disclosures is to better assess those risks. So there may be, it may be that some of these, some things, you know, it, and it really will depend industry to industry, how much of an impact that could have. And, you know, this could, there, if you talk to to people more uh, who are, uh, you know, have more expertise in this area, in, in the economic side of this area and in markets specifically than I, you know, the I think one of the challenges for companies is that more comprehensive disclosure around climate risk, depending on how it's done, could also end up hurting individual companies. And I, you know, there's a you have to 
acknowledge that, right? Because if you're pricing new risks or if you're incorporating new disclosures that could ultimately lead to different decisions by investors, you know, the fear from some industries is certainly that that couldn't, if, could it end up harming them. Um, so it's, it's, it's a challenge to figure out how to do it appropriately, how to do it fairly, how to, you know, make sure that everybody's participating and that it's, sort of phased in appropriately and incorporated into decision making. But, you know, I one thing that we'll probably talk about further down the line is that, you know, this is kind of already happening. We're on the path. And whether or not, you know, I think the risk, is, it's riskier if you don't, if regulators don't start getting involved, because things are going to be a little bit more haphazard. And um, there's going to be a little less, uh, continuity across the market as to how things are approached. And that could end up, you know, by staying too far back, um, regulators could end up uh, making things harder for these companies trying to navigate those, those questions. So it seems like you've highlighted two different avenues forward, the first of which is the SEC and regulators perhaps coming out with new guidance in the future. And then the second is the path through the courts, where the, the term materiality um, and what a reasonable investor might require um, seem to be essential. So can you maybe talk a little bit more about what the process, what each of those processes would look like to start including more climate disclosure? Sure. So, you know, I, I think most people will, um, who are well-versed in securities law would tell you that the SEC has the authority as it stands now to provide additional guidance to companies on how to disclose around climate topics uh, and to potentially incorporate new, you know, develop new regulations that sort of more specifically address climate information. Um, you know, they could do that on their own right now if they wanted to. Uh, there's been a couple of efforts in the past to start down that, that start to go that direction, but they, they haven't gone anywhere yet. So I mentioned some guidance that was issued in 2010. It didn't result in a tremendous change, partially because it wasn't matched by a, a sort of robust enforcement effort that to, could help educate companies on what, what the SEC was looking for. Then um, they also issued a concept release in 2016 that, that included some questions around what type of potentially additional regulation should there be or, or required disclosures, sort of line item disclosure should there be in this area? Um, you know, it was sort of asking people to comment on what else, what what would they like to see from the SEC? And nothing's come of that either yet. But there, you know, there's been um, you know, some interest from the advisory committees for the SEC on this topic, and they've recommended that they start a new process. So, you know, in, in a new administration with some leadership changes, you're likely to see some more action in that area. But as I mentioned before, you know, our securities law is really heavily dependent on this concept of materiality. And, and that is heavily, highly dependent on the views of investors. Uh, that that sort of the fact that it incorporates the reasonable investor into its decision. It's partially defined by what a reasonable investor believes is material. And so what that means is what companies must disclose can shift over time, even without specific new disclosure requirements in the regulations. And I, 
I think we're already starting to see this shift happen when it comes to climate-related information, particularly in sectors most likely to be heavily impacted by an energy transition or the first to feel significant physical impacts of, of the changing climate. And the key here is whether investors are moving from talk to action. So investors and asset managers have been talking to companies about their increasing recognition of the potential impacts of climate change for years now. And that's only continued to increase. But in recent years, we've seen a real shift in how they do their jobs. They're actively incorporating information about climate change and its potential impacts on specific companies into their investment practices. And they're doing that using both information that companies have voluntarily disclosed and doing things like partnering with climate data firms to kind of create their own assessments of risk based on different types of information and data on um, sort of the physical impacts of climate change. And this is the where this why this matters is that as that happens and as sort of that definition of material, what information is material shifts, that can change outcomes in the court. So there's this is strong evidence that investors are starting to actually make decisions based on climate-related information and not just talk about how they think this information is important. And that's key to determining whether specific information is material to an investment decision, which when these kinds of cases make it to court, that's one of the questions that typically, that's that's often is the crux of the of the case. So you could start to see different outcomes. And, you know, the the sort of risk for regulators is as there's as investors start to use more of this information and really incorporate it into their day-to-day decision making and start to act based on that information as far as what their decisions on sales, uh, selling and buying or voting uh, are in in shareholder elections are, um, you know, as that starts to happen, they really start to act based on this information. Courts are going to increasingly have to determine whether, you know, that action was based on climate-related information. And we'll start, the more cases that there are, they'll start to define sort of the parameters of what climate-related information is material and when. Um, and they'll be doing that sort of out, without the, the regulator input if, the, if regulators aren't developing new guidance and, per, you know, actively considering whether new, new regulatory requirements are needed. Uh, so there's, you know, and that's one way that our law evolves in this country. But you know, that also sort of leaves the regulators a little bit at risk of having this kind of get away from them. Sure. So your, your chapter mentions two recent cases uh, brought against ExxonMobil related to disclosure of transition risks. So can you tell our audience about those two cases and how they turned out and what prospects for future cases might be? Sure. So both of these cases, the cases I mentioned in the article, only one of them actually went through a trial and got to a final disposition. Uh, the other one, you know, the, there was an opinion, but it was at an earlier stage in the case. It was a shareholder case. Um, and they both involved ExxonMobil. And whether it misled investors in disclosures about potential impacts of future climate policies on product demand and about how the company incorporated this information into its project level business planning. So as I mentioned, one of those cases made it to trial. That was a case brought by the New York Attorney General 
And the court ultimately found that the company did not mislead investors and that the particular information at issue was not material to investors at the time. But the important piece to note in both of these cases um, is that the, the courts acknowledged that climate-related information could be material. And that, and it sort of indicated a likelihood that we'll see different outcomes in future cases. I think, you know, any anytime these cases go to court, it's a very fact-specific, case-specific evaluation about the particular information at issue in that case and how it was potentially used, how it influenced decisions, um, investment decisions that were made, and whether you know, what, to what extent it was misleading. And it really, when you dig into the, the case and you read the final opinion in the New York case, um, you, you can see why the court came to this decision. It also was dealing with a very specific time frame, And one that I would argue is kind of before, you know, even though it wasn't that long ago, um, somewhat distinct from where we are as far as investors' relationship uh, with climate-related information and their own education about how to use it. Um, at that time, it, it they weren't really actively incorporating the kind of disclosures that were at issue in that case into their day-to-day decision-making. You're seeing more efforts to do that now. And so these kinds of cases could come out differently in the future, uh, depending, of course, on the specific facts of that individual case. So are, are there reasons for optimism? Um, Wall Street often comes under fire from environmentalists who point out that banks and investment firms continue to invest in fossil fuel companies and other corporations in defiance of ever-decreasing carbon budgets. So how well would you say Wall Street is responding to climate change, and is there anything that does give you hope? Uh, absolutely. There, I, there are things that give me hope, and I I will say it's kind of sometimes hard to to see this, but there's been a really dramatic shift in a short period of time in how financial institutions, investors, asset managers view the relevance of climate change to their work. And it may be harder to see if you're not sort of tracking these developments day to day uh, in a this sort of cl- super close manner. But even in just the last couple of years, the sh- rapid shift from sort of merely acknowledging the potential importance of climate change to the financial sector to really making progress in the hard work of developing ways to properly measure and account for those risks and begin to actively incorporate them into decision-making, I think is pretty remarkable. There is still a long way to go. And some of that is because these things are, you know, technically challenging. Um, It's not just about saying, you know, oh, well, our climate is changing or there are physical impacts that will come from climate change. So everybody should disclose everything. There's, you know, there's limits to what can be disclosed and how to make them useful. Uh, There's also debates around sort of what is the purpose of disclosure and how does climate related information fit into that? Um, You know, I would point you to uh, another sort of leader in the space, Margaret Peloso, who talks, she works, she's a private sector attorney and she works a lot with companies on how to disclose uh, climate related information and the importance of disclosure. But she also talks about, and something I think we need to keep in mind when we, especially if we move further into sort of regulatory developments of this area, what is our purpose to really force companies to make smart strategic decisions and do the internal work around how climate could impact their business 
and make changes uh, to account for that? Or is it to disclose information to allow investors to sort of to shift away or move move money in different ways? And it might be it's a little bit of both, I think. But it's hard to figure out how to properly strike mm-hmm. that balance in disclosure to encourage companies to really do the what it can be very challenging work, especially when you're looking at scenario planning further down the line. And um, you want to encourage them to be broad based in their approach and really take on some of the hard questions. But you also want investors and the market to have the information they need to make smart decisions and to more accurately price this type of information into the process. So, you know, I think there are still... It's not, you know, we're not at a stage yet where it's just everybody could disclose properly tomorrow in a way that that fixes our economy. But we have made some really dramatic shifts. And I think there's the the importance you're seeing placed on this by not just sort of investors who use this as advocacy or what you might call values investors, but mainstream investors who are seeing how it could impact just their regular day-to-day business, how important it is as just one factor in what they do, as well as the broader financial sector, uh, banks and other financial institutions, lending institutions, insurers. Now, you know, the regulators are really starting to study this as well at a more systemic level. And I think there's been really, you know, quick and rapid change in that area. Uh, that is promising and will and will likely lead to change. Um, it's not this. This is not a replacement for climate change action at an international uh, government to government level, or even at a domestic regulatory level. You know, this will not fix our <laughs> having better climate disclosure. Will not solve our climate problems. Um, but it is one factor and step in that process, and it should be paired with robust regulatory action, with really dynamic international efforts to engage with other countries to to better plan for our futures. Um, and I think there is a lot of reason to hope, and partially because a lot of the institutions that are really starting to dig into this now in the financial sector are also aware that it can't just be something that they're dealing with. It has to be something that our government needs to be dealing with more more uh, aggressively at a, at a regulatory level and that our government needs to be engaged in uh, internationally as well. And so they're also helping to push for some of that, at least th- those who are more actively um, trying to incorporate this information into their into their business practices. And so that should hopefully be helpful in that process as well. And really, I think we've passed the point of no return. There's kind of no going back to ignoring these issues. And, you know, whether you're talking about individual companies, the financial sector, investors, or lenders, or even financial regulators, there's already, you know, there's already been enough movement in one direction that you can't just ignore the problem anymore. Well, Anna, thank you so much. I myself learned a lot and I'm hopeful that our, our listeners did as well. So um, Values at Work, the, the book um, can be found at valuesatworkbook.com and it is now available. And if you're listening to this before December 14th, there's um, also a launch event with a few of the other chapter authors like Hana, who um, are really knowledgeable and experts on this topic of sustainable investing and ESG reporting. But um, thank you again, Hannah. 
I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure.